Good morning and welcome to Flat Out Recovery. Good morning. Good morning, morning. Right, what do we have this week? What do we have this week? This week, we have the second part of our interview with Bob and, well, Neil and Matt's interview with Bob. Right. They went and did that. I can't do everything. No, 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 no. I have to accept that these days I can't actually do everything. No, you can't. It can't be... And I can't control everything. I was going to say, controlling is... That no, my attempt to appoint myself Master of the Universe was not very successful. Uh-huh. My take on God being, I sat God because I didn't need him. Oh dear. Because I am God. No, actually I'm not. And well, that's what keeps me going with it, to be honest. It's, it's just knowing that there is a God and it's not me. Yeah. And in many ways, that's enough. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly... And if I hold on to that much, then I stop trying to do things that are crackers. Well, sometimes, anyway. Mm. Right, anyway, we had... I, I thought, yet again, with last week, what you got from the media bit, the supposed increases in funding, and yet there's all this evidence to the contrary. Mm-hmm. I think along with the other stuff we were discussing about the nature of treatment and how people are or are not accessing it. Mm -hmm. These are things that will be ongoing, Mm -hmm. I think, because we're about to turn the financial year, aren't we? We are, yeah. Which is marvellous because it means that we are moving into video with the turn of the financial year. Oh, okay. And I think this one should be going out after April anyway, so this means that we're actually moving into video because we can now afford to move into video. So is that what we've been waiting for, the new financial year? Well, it is that, isn't it? Because yeah, you it have is. to do everything according to the figures. And, well, it depends on how you do your figures. You know, you yeah, mentioned the motor industry <laughs> this yeah, morning. Yeah, we was talking about this. Where perhaps they don't view figures in the oh. same way as they do in certain other industries. Yeah. You can't run a rehab in readies, can you? See, no, say no more. Anyway, dilemma time. Let's see. You're skint. It's now a matter of either paying the phone bill or missing out on your daily dose of your drug of choice. Do you A, call the phone company and tell them you've had to move your direct debit due to a mix-up at the bank, B, cancel all your direct debits, withdraw everything you've got left and pretend it's not happening, C, just pay the phone bill, D, call one of your mates and arrange to go out thieving to cover the necessary costs, E, go and get drunk, then call your family and tell them you can't pay the phone bill. Well, wow. um, as you was <laughs> as you were saying that, I was thinking every single one of them applies. Yes, every one of those applies. And I've actually been in that situation where my phone bill needed paying, and I remember calling the phone company and telling them that oh, all sorts of stuff. I was telling them, and there was having none of it. And I think, what did I do in the end? Yeah, I called mother. Yeah, that's what I did. I paid the phone. I needed the phone. I, you know, these days it's a necessity and. Even if it is just to ring the deal or ring the mum for the money in the first place. So I think that's what I was thinking. How can I call my mum without a phone to get more money for the following week? And obviously this is one that I've written subconsciously. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It's every single one of those I've done, I think. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, I haven't been out thieving. But the calling the phone company and telling them I've had to change the direct debit. Yeah, I've done that several times. <laughs> and... Cancelling all the direct debits at the bank, taking everything yeah. out in cash. Yeah. I've done that, and then yeah, gone into it. the bank saying, oh, I don't know what happened. Or I've even tried to claim that the bank have made an error when I've called the phone company. 
and you, I've called you, you, my family and said, oh, there's been a mistake at the bank. Oh, this has gone wrong, that's gone wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just need to pay the phone bill. This one's then on one occasion, they gave me the money to pay the phone bill and I didn't pay it. Still didn't pay it. <laughs> that's happened. I've gone and got drunk, pretended it wasn't happening, mm -hmm. and then made desperate phone calls at the last minute mm -hmm. to try and get it paid before the end of the working yeah. day. Because, yeah, yeah. of course, if your mobile phone bill isn't paid, that's one of the things that goes on your credit rating, isn't it? Yeah, well, towards the end, my credit rating didn't really matter to me. I remember it diminishing by the day on the feeling, the horror of people. You know, you've been paying these money, these bills and these credit cards and these phone bills and whatever else bills, and then you stop paying and the the horror that comes with after that is just unbelievable. It's like, how do I tell these people, oh, I'm not paying you anymore? And what reaction are you going to get? And it's, it's very frightening. It's frightening. Horrible. Yeah, and I think it's rather typical, isn't it, that we all get into this situation where we can't pay bills, yeah. and then everything's turned upside down because the whole objective really is how can I afford to fuel whatever I'm addicted to and get away with the bills at the same time? What I used to do with utilities was constantly rearrange the direct debit yeah, yeah, yeah. and rearrange <laughs> the amount I was paying. Yeah. So by the end, the last direct debit I had on utilities, I was paying double what I should have been paying the yeah. months yeah. because I kept pushing it back and I kept playing with it so that I could fuel my off-license bill. I, d I recall remortgaging my house several times. Yeah. And when I got to the end of actually paying it off or selling the house to pay off the mortgage before that was taken, I think I'd paid 20 years on the mortgage or 15, 20 years, something like that anyway. And there was still another 25, yeah, yeah I only started yeah. with 25 at the beginning. Yeah. So really it was, you know, not far before I would have actually owned it and now it's a remortgage. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So, free money. I can remortgage re for free money. Payment breaks and whatever else breaks. I believe Homer Simpson does that fairly regularly, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The remortgage. Yeah, I'm blaming him. Right, let's have another one. You have to have minor surgery, which your consultant assures you can be effectively carried out under local anaesthetic. Do you A, demand to be put out using the heaviest possible sedatives? B, take your own street sedative just prior to the operation? C, Complain about the consultant concocting false allegations about him touching up your imaginary girlfriend. Mm -hmm. D. Trust the doctors and do what they say. E. Don't bother with the surgery at all because without drugs it's not worth having. Ooh, I mean, I've, with with that one, local anaesthetic to me, I've, you know what? I've always asked them if I could have general anaesthetic all the time. Which one? Yeah, general's the knocking out one, isn't it? Yeah, so. I've always asked for that, and that's just because I've always been frightened of the actual operation. Itself. No, but that's understandable. Yeah, they're um, not wanting to be conscious, and they're not wanting to see or to know. Yeah, mm. I can believe that in anyone. And I had pan I got pancreas once, pancreatitis once, acute pancreatitis, and touch wood, it stays that way. And the amount of morphine they give you, is it morphine yeah. they I had was unbelievable, and I wasn't getting high off it. And it wasn't numbing the pain, so I don't know what was going on there. I've just having flashbacks, you see, as you were reading it, of, of times and I've been in that kind of situation. But, yeah, it depends what angle you're looking at, I suppose. You know, if you want a free buzz, go for the morphine option, couldn't you? I think if you are very nervous about operations, 
and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I really don't think a general anaesthetic should be viewed as, oh, you shouldn't do that because you're in recovery. Mm -hmm. And I'm not one for this idea of you must not have anything at all because you're in recovery. Because when someone is dying of cancer or when someone is having major surgery, mm -hmm. it should not be a block because no, no, it's no, something no, no. that is necessary in order for that to be yeah, managed. Definitely, definitely. And, and you can't say to someone who is dying of cancer, no, you can't have any Percocets or you can't have any Vicodin or any morphine. Mm. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Because of the pain they would be in. And it's ridiculous to say, I'm not going to take this because I'm in recovery. You're not taking it as a recreational thing. You're not taking it for your own reasons. It's actually to manage your pain. I've been in the rooms though where people have said that they've been into hospital with a broken arm or whatever and they've given these cocodamals and they didn't want to take them even though it would have, you know, they should have taken them for the pain, the level yeah. of the pain. And then after taking them and then, you know, coming off them as, as the doctor requested because, it, you know, didn't need them anymore, was then, it was then more obliged to want to take more because of that so I suppose it depends I suppose you've got to weigh it up yeah you've got to weigh it up and, and also down to the individual person if they think it's going to make them want it more afterwards then obviously it's something to look at differently but really where you're at in your recovery I suppose but you definitely shouldn't be a block no it shouldn't be a block and I know for a fact if it was going to help me help my operation go smoother and better then I definitely wouldn't mind taking it because I, be, I truly believe that it wouldn't have. Yeah, and there's no way I'd have invasive major surgery without some kind of anaesthetic. Mm, of course. You'd have to be insane. Yeah, wow. Like in the war when they were operating in medical units, they had to improvise and sometimes they used to give them a bottle of whiskey, didn't they? Yeah. And when you go back to the American Civil War and the World War One, they would do anything. Yeah. Because yeah. in the field hospital, you've got no choice. Well, I had some work done on my teeth once in Macedonia, and they told me not to drink because the anaesthetic wouldn't work. And of course, I was I was drinking. I was in the midst of where I needed a drink every day to, to function, so I was, so I did drink, and the anaesthetic didn't work. And I did feel the pain, but it, not as much as I would have done if I hadn't been drinking. True. So it's. One of I think it's something that needs to be aired. I mean, if I were to be in that situation with anything I would say to the consultant mm. I'm a recovering alcoholic yeah but that doesn't mean that that should preclude me from taking anything as pain relief mm -hmm. and I think it's ultimately a personal decision yeah I think with yourself you didn't really have much of it and you didn't have a problem with substance abuse no I mean, I don't know what would happen if mm -hmm. I was suddenly taking cocodamol, so I'm not particularly eager to do that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do it when I was offered them before. But I chose not to take them because I thought, you know, this is not major surgery. I'm not having something done on my teeth. Mm -hmm. This is not a broken limb. It's painful. However, it's nowhere near as painful as when I broke my foot playing cricket, mm -hmm. when I broke the toe. Ooh. And that was just a straight fast ball coming at 90 miles an hour that smashed me on the toe. Ooh, that was really fucking <laughs> painful. And that's my benchmark. If something's more painful than that, then I'll take pain yeah, relief. But otherwise, if it's not, because, oh God, I remember that toe. I didn't know. I just carried on playing the game. I carried on batting. I carried on playing. And the next morning, about half past four in the morning, 
and we've been out on the lash after the game so half four in the morning I'm waking up kind of a bit dazed oh, already dear. the hangover's in and my foot was throbbing like, I thought what the hell have I done and I thought it took me about two and a half three hours until I, I thought oh shit yeah I got hit didn't I oh, then it's horrible that isn't it when you wake up in pain and you're trying to think what happened what, what have I done have I been run over or what and it wasn't that I'd staggered over from the pub and hit myself no. somewhere it was actually during the game and of course in the course of the adrenaline you don't necessarily feel it Just it, it goes to show doesn't it that the body is an amazing thing you can actually block that pain out yourself from the adrenaline really We'll have one more. One more. You turn up for work, the worse for wear after a heavy weekend. Your boss insists you take a drug test because you can't walk in a straight line. Do you A, fess up and promise it'll never happen again. B, promise it'll never happen again knowing full well that it will, just to get them off your back. C, ask for six months paid compassionate leave to sort yourself out. D, accuse them of fraud, saying you have detailed proof to prevent them <laughs> from proceeding any further. E, go around their house later and kidnap their children's dog in order to give yourself some bargaining power with them. All right. That's a bit off-key, isn't it? I don't think that goes far, because that's too much effort, pinching the dog, kidnapping mm. the dog. That's yeah, you don't want to breed the dog, is either. Yeah. Well, what would I do? What would I do? I don't know. I really don't know. If we, I've worked for, for companies that do drug and alcohol tests, random ones, and I just risked it every time. Unfortunate or not fortunate, I don't know, but I didn't get tested. But it made me, being in an environment where we had to do mm. some form of testing, it made me very wary because I knew that teaching, if there was the slightest trace of any illegal chemical in your, in your system, you were fucked. Yeah. Fuck, yeah. And more so than in many other professions and I never really thought about the implications of what my blood alcohol level would be or anything like that but then I wasn't alone in that one I don't think but the idea that I would blag it I think I would have been very alcoholic about it and just not turned up I don't think I'd have turned up to work the worst for wear and not able to walk straight I'd have blagged it and I'd have made the excuse without them seeing me because I knew there was a dividing line between where it was okay for me to be in a working situation and where it wasn't. Mm. And a lot of it was about whether I'd picked up that morning. And that's partly because of what I did for a living. Yeah. Because if I'm going into a school and I've had a couple of beers that morning, no way. Can't do it. No. You're actually better off making the excuse that nobody believes. Mm -hmm than actually yeah, going yeah. in doing that. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think doing other things, when I was in other jobs at any given time, I didn't think about that one at all. Because mm -hmm. it didn't matter in the same way. Mm -hmm. But I would always try and hide behind the curtains first. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was always my first choice. That's what I would definitely do. Again, I'm thinking back when you were reading it out. I don't know how they didn't, I would be drinking up until the point of, right, I've got to go to work now. From the night before, Oh, just to straighten yourself out? Yeah, taking drugs. Couple of eye-openers. No, I hadn't even stopped, and particularly when I was using cocaine as well, and that would be a few lines before work. And I remember leaving parties saying, I'm jealous of you, because like, you can carry on, and now I've got to go to work, and I'd be off going to work and coming back. Yeah. I don't know how I got away with that. 
if I'm honest with you, but I know that sometimes they did smell the breath and, and stuff. It was just depending on where I was working at the time and what their morals was, I suppose. I suppose this brings us into something that we touched on last week, which is about the effects of alcohol and drugs and their misuse on the taxpayer and on society. The number of days work lost oh. must be astronomical. And the number of times that people are ineffective at work or, or dangerous at work or sent home from work mm -hmm. or sacked from work mm -hmm. and therefore suddenly dependent on the benefit system. There must be an awful lot of that. Oh, good, definitely. And the number of people who will ring up on a Monday morning or a Friday morning mm -hmm. and pretend to be ill because yep. they know they don't want their boss or anyone else to see them in the state they're in. Yep. There must be an awful lot of that going on. And that's not very quantifiable, is it? No. Because all you've really got in a business is you've got days missed. Yeah. And with me going into the mornings in that what I found insane when I look back is that my job was commission based and yeah. the weekends was the busiest time yeah. to make the money. Uh, yet on a Friday night, knowing full well that tomorrow's work will probably pay the mortgage bill and that I'd still do it. And it just, when I look back, it's just, it is mental, it's crazy. It, it reads it in the big book, doesn't it? You know, you could have the biggest event. I remember starting a new job and I got plastered the night before and I didn't sleep and I went in for my first day. It was crazy, crazy. Yeah, I'd spent two weeks prior to that, sober, trying to have a clear head. And then on that particular night before, I was asked by somebody, if you fancy having a drink and some cocaine, and I was like... Oh, yeah. It's in the big book, isn't it? It yeah. has the capacity for getting tight at just the wrong moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. vital business deal that gets that's missed. That's it, yeah, that's it. The interview that gets missed. I had a break and I had an opening at a big regional theatre at one point and I didn't get there on the day and then it was gone. It's crazy. And it's all because of got hammered the night, before. the night before. If I hadn't, then everything could have been different. Like when we say that alcohol and drugs are making our decisions. Yeah, that's right. You know, alcohol was making mine. Yeah. Because everything I did was based around the acquisition of it, the drinking of it, or the recovering from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Hey ho. Right, we have the second half of Neil and Matt's interview with Bob. Mm -hmm. So let's go with that. Was it a feeling of, was you feeling a bit hopeless, faithless? Was you just feeling less? Was it all back, everything corrupted? Fear. It sounded like a bit of fear started to creep in. Yeah, I'd say that's absolutely right. Well, it wasn't, it didn't even start to creep in, right? It had been there the whole time. It had been there the whole fucking time. Underneath everything. In the dark moments, it would creep in, you know, but then I'd push it away by, oh yeah, you know, doing this or that or whatever, but... Yeah, just something in me said, I don't know, man. I feel like I'm not good enough. There's something lacking in me. So that sense of lack pushed me into going to seek something. So I literally thought the only thing I had to do was like a, a Hail Mary move, really. I sold everything that I had and went to go traveling, looking for answers to questions that I didn't even know what the question was, you know? All I know is there's a problem and I feel like I've just got to change something. So it really does feel like similar to the first day when I went in treatment because I'd love to say that I knew 
what I was looking for or walking towards or what the answer was, yeah. but I didn't. I was just fucking desperate enough that I had no other move other than to just walk forward, man, into the unknown, to let go of everything that I'd relied upon. The security of having a job, of having a house, of having set of friends and everything that I built. Castle Bob was shaking, man, and it was going to come down and it would... If I can backtrack you a little bit there, I can't relate to having multiple years like you had, like one day at a time. But Mm -hmm. that feeling of less, feeling like I'm not enough, when it used to encroach on me right here, when it used to come on me, it fed into stuff which was, like you're saying, it was always there. And how it came at me, it came at me in nine months I'm a year clean and things are going all right, like you're saying. At that moment in time, I don't feel that I want to use. That's an ease and comfort all in itself. That's a really nice place to be in. But in the midst of that, what was really coming up with strong waves at times, very strong feelings, was a feeling of loneliness, of separation. And in the midst of all that, I'm in the rooms of the fellowship or or at a unity day or doing stuff with people out of the rooms. And still having that feeling of separation was telling me, you just said, I'm not right. Everybody else seems to be able to, I'm still getting that feelings what drove my addiction. I'm still getting those feelings clean and very not serene, you know? But I'm clean and I think I'm doing something wrong. Did you get those similar feelings early days or was you a bit more comfortable in your early part of your recovery? Or were you so busy that you just pushed them away, batted them away? I think in the early days of recovery, I was very involved in the meeting. One thing I'd say about, if I'm being honest about my journey, I did steps one to three in treatment, right? And my step work finished there. So as much as I was involved in meetings, I was involved in doing service and both at local and area. And so I kept myself busy in that way. But yeah, I never really completed the journey of step work and actually the work that would have you do in getting to know and work on yourself to heal yourself and your relationship to yourself. So obviously in rehab, it was one to three, yeah, you've done one up to three. Can you expand a bit on your experience of step four and the steps as a whole to anyone that is new in recovery and a bit afraid or a bit worried or what was the benefits that you got from it? How did your fears meet reality? And when you did finally get to the step four and really knuckle down, get as much out as possible, how or as much as whatever you did, but what was the outcome, you know? So that's an interesting question, because if I fast forward to the day that Neil said where we first met and he's like, okay, what happened between day one and there? I sit here today and everyone's journey is different. Everyone walks a different path. And someone once painted a picture for me of a mountain and people are making their way up to the top of the mountain via all different routes. Some are going, you know, the circuitous route on the flat path and slowly making themselves there and other people are climbing up the craggy part and so there's just this image of people climbing their own way to the top of the mountain and he said and take this image of one foolish person who's running round telling people you're going the wrong way you're choosing the wrong path to get to the top he said because it takes what it takes and there's no direct route everyone's path is different and my path to what I see would be the product of a successful and thorough working of the 12 steps and the spiritual 
awakening that is a part of that was not via the traditional route. I never did step four. So actually, all I can tell you about step four is at the time, back in 1997 and probably five years beyond that, was I was worried about how deep that would be. Looking at it now, I think the perfectionist in me was concerned about it being thorough enough and making a good job of it that it never attempted at all. I just took a different path. 14 years later, I went off on the spiritual journey that was to get me to the place. So I found myself 14, 15 years later in a place where I looked back, right? So I went off to Thailand looking at this journey that I didn't know where it was going to lead. I didn't know what was missing. All I knew was that there was a gaping hole in me that said, not enough. And I happened to walk into an event that totally changed and totally answered every question that I had, you know, three weeks into my travels, I walked into a workshop and a guy did a process. And in doing so, in the midst of that process, in one hour, I was changed forever. Yeah, I experienced the miracle of a spiritual awakening. And it literally changed everything about me and everything about how I saw life. But what it really did do is I looked back at the 12 steps and I saw from this point, I saw with clarity, ah, I see why. If you do that and then that and then that and then you take care of that and you look at that and you implement that and then you do that, yeah, of course you're going to have a spiritual awakening. So I really saw that the steps as they were set out would work. And I could have probably, instead of taking 14 years to get to this point, I could have maybe done it in two. But that wasn't my path. I sit here as just another voice of just another person on a path to healing the pain and maybe finding some peace and fulfillment. But I didn't take the direct route. What I can say is with the knowledge of all of my experience, I see how and why the steps will absolutely work. It's about that spiritual heart. You know, it's that connection, isn't it? It says everything yeah. in the. I'm a member of NA, and yeah. it says in the literature what we have been missing is the connection with the power greater than my higher power. And through all of the steps, it awakens you <laughs> to the nature of the world we live in. It is a spiritual world. I believe it is a spiritual world. And to the nature of your true self. You are the miracle that you've missed. It's your misunderstanding of actually who and what you are. That's where the separation is, actually. We feel like we're isolated and separate in the world, but actually the separation is within, man. It's from you. It's your own separation from your wounded self, from your less than self, but it's your own separation from the love that is your true nature. I laughed out loud at this point because I remembered hearing, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, right? I'd heard that thousands of times in so many, and I, I never thought to take it literally. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just jargon. Having walked into my own spiritual awakening, I was like, holy shit, it's a real fucking thing. <laughs> And they were talking about it the whole time, and they literally meant it. Like you're saying, the perfectionism, intellectualising it. Also, underlying that is just getting in the way of self, Bob. Is that what you've done? Yeah. So- Isn't that what we all do? Mm. I guess language 
we're getting into a territory now where language is actually getting, you know, starts to get in the way, right? You know, I mean, what do we mean when we say self? Yeah. Because the truth of that, of the nature of the self is you are both the ego mind, the character of, you know, I am Bob and, and all of my story and I've done this and I've done that. But what that disconnection within is actually kind of getting in the way of is you remembering the other part of yourself. That actually you are all the rest of it as well, you mm. know. That's mm. it, the separation from love. Mm. I mean, it turned out that love was the answer, right? Love was the problem and love was the answer. Mm. That unconditional love that I can have for myself. But actually, you know, I feel like I'm separate from love. I'm looking for love. I'm trying to get love. I keep losing love. When actually, the bottom line is, I am love also. Yeah. Separation is the heart of the addictive problem right connection is the antidote to addiction and from what i'm hearing you say bob you have to have that connection with self before anything else can really become whole would you agree with that i'm not yeah i mean because that's actually the missing part it seems like oh we feel like we're so disconnected from from this person or from that place and actually it's just a reflection of the disconnection from within you're separated from a disenfranchised part of yourself so that's the piece that drops in mm. when the separation within dissolves, when that wholeness is achieved inside, then the outside doesn't really matter. The outside doesn't affect. And it's in stories, that's the outside stuff, isn't it? Whatever journey we've lived and we define ourselves through that journey and through the stories that we tell ourselves what happened within that journey. And from what I'm getting, what you're saying, that's a disconnection to the true essence of the love that lies within us all yeah you know what i realized neil i see that at some point in my life early on and i feel like when i saw this equation in myself i saw that i can't imagine there's many people that, that this isn't true for as well is that at some point early in life we get separated from unconditional love you know at some point love becomes conditional we're taught the very process of education from our parents and from teachers and the whole schooling system it's love becomes a bargaining chip in that and that begins this separation from the love that we're just born as you know the love that we didn't have to work for and that changes everything then because then love is a commodity and we're judging ourselves am i good enough am i going to be good enough to get what i want and ultimately all I really want is love, man. Wow. You know what, Bob? I think that's a perfect way to end. Right yeah. there. We're going to come back and be speaking with you, Bob, around, you know, some personal stuff you've done. It'd be nice to get a bit more of a closed interview and a very specific one because you seem like you've got quite a lot of yeah, cause knowledge got and experience. And I think, you yeah. Know, I want to get into some more stuff around the Thailand stuff. I think you went on to India as well, did you not, Bob? Yeah. Yeah. And I want to maybe touch in on the music, because I know for me, for me personally, the music, it lifts my spirit. I went on a meeting during the week before I went on there. The meeting started at eight o'clock and I need to get something to eat or whatever. I put a few tracks on at seven and I was saying, yeah, by half seven, I'm going to run over the road and get a bit of chicken and chips. I'm like, yeah, because lovely bit of chicken and chips, because we And at quarters away, I can't leave YouTube alone, Bob. And like, ah, oh, the music was just lifting me, you know what I mean? And, 
And I finally got out of the house at 10 to 8, bam, and bang, and I managed to put the camera on witness protection mode because I've got to eat my food while I'm on the meeting now, you know? Mm -hmm. The music was lifting my spirits. I was finding a few old classics. I was finding it hard to drag myself away from it. When I shared back, I had to share on the fact that the music, man, is all about music. <laughs> That's what I'm going <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, music's wanna... done something different for me as well. I've yeah, experienced I'm... a lot of trauma in my life. Even when I was completely emotionally detached from everything, the only thing that would ever touch that emotion of feeling something deep and then it would also go into that separation and not want anyone to know i'd hear like really intimate and, and emotional songs and i wouldn't want anyone to know do you know what i mean i'll, I'll be listening to all this hip-hop and drum and bass and all of this but all my guilty pleasures yeah <laughs> they're for myself but i didn't tell no one i can put them on in front of anyone so i don't care they're not like pop songs it's more like own meaningful your, stuff, your S Club man. 7 stuff, bro. Own yeah, it. yeah, that's it. The own it. One Direction and that, man. Like, <laughs> own <that's> it. <laughs> we can own that stuff today, innit, bro, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh. Right. And, of course, I will say probably thank you, Neil. Thank you, Matt, for doing that. Yeah. And that's about it, then, for this week. Yeah. And if you have been in any way touched or affected by anything you've heard today, if it's resonated with you or if it's made you concerned about anyone you know, anyone close to you, then do seek help. There's plenty out there. In spite of my rants mm -hmm. and about how there isn't enough provision, there is plenty of provision in the third sector. There, yes, is an, there are an awful lot of services out there and there are lots of people out there willing to help. If you want to contact us, you can find us at Flat Out Recovery on Twitter, Flat Out Recovery on Facebook, or you can email us at podcast at changeuk.org. Have a wonderful week and a wonderful weekend and we will be talking to you again soon. Speak to you soon.